This is The Guardian. Today, a former soldier, a prince and a politician walk into a hunting lodge. But what follows is no joke. On the 27th of November, a video was uploaded onto a um, video website that is popular amongst far-right conspiracy theorists. It featured a German man with a strong Bavarian accent sitting by the Adriatic Sea. Liebe Freunde, liebe Kameraden, liebe Leute, ich bin gerade für in einer wunderbaren Umgebung. Looking back, one of the big mistakes made by the group plotting a secret insurrection to topple the German government may have been posting a video about that secret plan on the internet. And he's just openly chatting about how there was a great epochal upheaval about to come to Germany. There's a sort of terrible panpipe rain stick soundtrack in the background. He told his viewers that uh, those people who'd been bullying us, who'd been arresting us, they would finally see their comeuppance. And he said that this great revolution would come to Germany in the coming weeks, he says, hopefully before Christmas. The man in the footage was Maximilian Ader, and this part is more serious. He was a former Special Forces soldier, well-trained, with access to weapons and a powerful network. Not many people looked at that video, from what it seems, but it seems that his plan was real. So Ada is talking very openly about his great plan for a revolution, which you'd think sort of for a serious coup plot is, is a pretty dumb move. Um, and it sort of makes you wonder whether, is this really a sort of serious figure plotting in the shadows? Or is it just an old man who spent too much time on the internet and, and is trapped in his little filter bubble? The answer to those questions came last week with the biggest anti-extremism raids in modern German history. Prosecutors claim the man was part of a group inspired by a conspiracy theory that few people took seriously, but which online and after the pandemic became the fuel for a violent plot. The alleged plan failed. But its very existence tells us something about the new power of far-right conspiracies to radicalise people, and not just in Germany. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a pandemic, a prince, and an alleged plot to overthrow the German government. Philip Altman, you're The Guardian's Berlin bureau chief, and you've been following this story since it came to light last week. It has elements that are really sinister, but also at times sounds like a German version of that film Four Lions. So tell me about this plot. Where and when did it begin? So picture a sort of typical picture postcard castle in Germany in the state of Thuringia, a small town called Bad Lobenstein. 
castle uh, is called Schloss uh, Weidmannsheil, which means is, is how hunters uh, greet each other. So it sort of means good hunting. Um, so uh, straight out of a fairy tale, really. Imagine this castle and uh, an aristocratic man who called himself Heinrich XIII, uh, used the title of a prince, which is not an official title, dressed in tweed, got a cravat in his, uh, in his pocket. For, for what we know, at least for the last year, this man has been gathering people at his castle hunting lodge in Thuringia to plot essentially a coup d'etat in Germany. The people who he's been bringing to this castle are a ragtag bunch really, but if you look at them more closely, the background is surprising because these are People who seem to sort of, if you look at their CVs, they seem to come from the sort of well-off, respectable center of society, really. They're lawyers, family doctors, an opera singer, a gourmet chef. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, Phil. Yeah, it does. It sounds comical. I think what makes it more sinister is that in that ring, in that circle, were also a number of people with military backgrounds and not just ordinary military backgrounds, but really sort of elite fighting force backgrounds. There was the aforementioned Maximilian Eder, but also another man who, as far as we know, is or was at the point of his arrest still a member of the Special Forces Command. Okay, so this sounds like a bit of a motley crew, albeit one with some military know-how, gathering to concoct a plan to violently overthrow the German government. And had they succeeded, the country's new leader would be someone called Heinrich XIII. Tell me a bit about him. So Heinrich XIII is an aristocrat. That's not made up. He's part of a, a family, the House of Royce, that used to rule over some parts of eastern germany for you know for a long time for for 800 years from what we know the rest of his family had effectively disowned him the the current head of that house is is described him as a as a sort of crazy old man who's got lost in conspiracy theories we know that in 2019 heinrich 13 appeared at a sort of digital business forum in in zurich where he delivered a speech that was pretty wild. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Heinrich XIII, Prince Royce, and the successor of an ancient German dynasty that can be traced back to around 900 AD. So it was over He complains how his dynasty was dispossessed by the First World War. He blames the First World War and the Second World War on sinister forces. He mentions the Freemasons, the Rothschild family, communists. The man who controls the British money supply controls the British Empire. And I control the British money supply. Nathan Mayer Rothschild, 1850. And he basically says that Germany in its current form is a puppet state a mere commercial unit still uh, run by the Allies. Now, that's, that's a sort of standard trope that we know from a movement in, in Germany, which is known as the Reichsbürger, the citizens of empire, which basically 
subscribes to the idea that the laws of the old German Empire still apply and that the, the Federal Republic in its current form is merely a sort of commercial unit. So-called Federal Republic of Germany is the legal successor of the German Reich, Hitler's Germany, and not of the sovereign German Empire. Thank you. Wow. Okay. This sounds insane, and I want to know more. But first, do we have any sense of how far this plot actually got and how it was supposed to play out? So we've, we've just been given glimpses, really, from press conferences by the police that there was a sense that um, this is something that could have, they could have tried to do imminently, get into parliament and perhaps kidnap or kill key political figures. This comes after revelations that a former MP for the far-right AFD party was allegedly part of the plot. The former MP still had access to parliament and there could now be stricter rules for entering official buildings. So Heinrich Thirteen seems to have a pretty clear idea of what his post-revolutionary Germany should look like. He had already designated a former Alternative for Deutschland politician as the Justice Minister, a fairly obscure lawyer, it seems, from, uh, from Hanover, was going to be Interior Minister, and a family doctor was jotted down as, as, the, as the new Health Minister. So they'd already designated the key positions in this future shadow cabinet that they'd envisioned. And Heinrich had envisioned himself as basically the post-coup leader of Germany, a sort of head of state. Well, Philip, tragically for Heinrich XIII, it was not to be. You're speaking to us from what is still the Federal Republic of Germany. How did it all fall apart? So at some point, German criminal police got wind of these plans. And perhaps not surprisingly so if we if we see the way some of the, the circle's members were communicating their strategies out in the open. In September, the BKA, the German Federal Criminal Police Office, set up a special unit called Shadows and started surveillance of 52 suspects in this group. Last Wednesday, German police carried out the biggest ever series of raids against right-wing extremists. On Wednesday morning, some 3,000 police raided more than 100 properties in several German states and arrested 25 people, all of them suspected members or supporters of the so-called Reichsbürger movement. Police carried out these raids in a fairly media-friendly way, which is to say there were photographers there. So we have plenty of photographs, for example, of Heinrich 13 in his tweed jacket being piled into the, the back of a police van, humiliatingly for him. Hmm, and the end, I guess, of his royal aspirations. Philip you said that this alleged plot was driven by some strange ideas, usually associated with a movement calling itself the Reichsburger movement. Tell me about it. What do they believe and where do they come from? 
So the, the rice burger scene is something that's been around for at least 10 years. In 2016, I think that was the, the, really the year that they came to the attention of the public for the first time because there was a man in the German South who um, barricaded himself at home and shot a policeman who, who died at the time. And that, I think that was the first time people thought, you know, maybe these people are a bit more than just uh, sort of than loons. I think the core belief they all have is that they say because Germany after the Second World War didn't sign a, a peace treaty, just an armistice, that therefore that old empire is still in place effectively and its rules still exist. And the, the core idea that these people have is that the modern German state is just a puppet state still run for and by the allies, Britain and America. And I think it is a standard anti-Semitic uh, undercurrent to their uh, ideas that, that essentially America for them is a cipher for some Jewish plot for Jewish financiers. Hmm. I think it's worth understanding that this isn't a, it is not a unified ideology. And there are several different scenes within this scene. It seems to be sort of more of a, a way of life than a coherent ideology. So you have a Reichsburger who've declared themselves king of Germany. There are others who set up their parallel currency. Some of these Reichsburger are sort of basically trying to build their own little empire by buying up plots of land. Then it gets complicated because there's not much that beyond that I think they agree on. And it seems that Heinrich was by no means a sort of major figure. And there are others who, have, who are much more influential. Okay, so... Up until a few years ago, the Reichsburger movement is on the extreme fringes of German politics, considered a bit of a joke, but starting to show flashes of a more violent side. And then something happens that gives the movement a significant boost. In March 2020, world leaders go on TV and announce that a newly discovered coronavirus has become a pandemic. Deswegen lassen Sie mich sagen, es ist ernst. Nehmen Sie es auch ernst. And they need to take drastic, unprecedented action to protect public health. They force people to stay home, triggering massive job losses, a mental health catastrophe. And of course, among a minority, a very intense backlash. We know in our own countries the way the COVID-19 pandemic helped to fuel conspiracy theory movements. But Philip, what did that reaction look like in Germany? Well, you know, Germany saw a lot of anti-vaxxer protests, protests against lockdown, and some of them were quite sizable. And what, what happened at these demos was a strange intermingling of groups that we would previously have associated with the, with the far right and those perhaps who were on the sort of esoteric, hippie-ish left end of the spectrum. So wie Donald Trump sagt, fake news! Ihr seid fake news! Ihr seid erledigt! 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 So I remember really clearly in the summer of 2020 covering a protest here in Berlin, one of the first, 
And even then, I was struck by the fact that some of the people there were, they were strange. I mean, they, they were carrying these sort of empire-era flags. They were talking about the ancient Germany and so on, while also railing against vaccines and the fact that the government was trying to lock them up with these uh, with the lockdown measures uh, and so on. But I think it created an, a sort of new insecurity in parts of society that were previously quite stable, who suddenly seemed to have tipped over into into madness in that period. And I think at these demos, there were lots of people who, who met each other and scenes sort of linked up. Hmm. And some of these German far-right movements appear to have been influenced by, of all things, the conspiracy theory QAnon. Members of an extremist group who believe that their country is being run by a deep state, individuals who were influenced by QAnon and other right-wing conspiracies... It all sounds familiar, right? But we are not talking about the United States today. These arrests took place this morning in Germany, according to prosecutors there. This group's mission was... How does something so deranged, but also so rooted in American politics, manage to translate into Germany? The, the meeting point between the Reichsberger movement and QAnon is simply the internet. I mean, it's where... Those two narratives just completely overlap and melt into one. I remember when I covered the first of these um, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine protests in in Berlin, even then there were people with QAnon t-shirts walking around central Berlin or graffitiing that that, uh, letter Q on, on public buildings. Von denen, die gekommen sind, tragen viele dasselbe Zeichen. Q steht für QAnon. Was bedeutet das denn? Where we go one, we go all. Q, QAnon. Where we go one, we go all. And it seems that sort of the, the American story was has been sort of firmly lodged in those protesters' minds. Far-right extremists push through police lines to the top of the Reichstag steps. Widerstand, they shout, resistance. And wir sind das Volk, we are the people. The black, white and red are the colours of the old Imperial German Reich, used now by neo-Nazis. In front of the Reichstag, it makes for shocking symbolism. So when there was an attempt to storm the, the Reichstag by these protesters, Supposedly one of the women who was leading the charge had sort of spread rumours that or was convinced that Donald Trump was about to land in a helicopter. Okay, obviously that didn't happen, but the pandemic was clearly a boon for conspiracy groups, including this Reichsberger-affiliated movement that is alleged to have plotted the coup we're talking about. Now, the figures involved can appear a little bit bumbling, but do we have any sense of whether they were really dangerous? Are they dangerous? I think there's a big risk in assuming that because they seem ridiculous, they they can't be dangerous. I mean, often these are ridiculous, laughable figures until they start killing people. 
And the idea that by carrying out uh, an attack on Germany's parliament, you could somehow win over the entire country and they would uh, support you in bringing down uh, the democratically elected government in favour of a couple of handpicked regional lawyers and, and doctors, you know, that's absurd. But nonetheless, I think we have to take it seriously. I mean, one thing I found really striking is looking at the, the annual report of the Domestic Intelligence Agency in Germany, the number of Reichsbürger from that scene that they say have the potential for violence is around 2,100. And there was another, not in the same report, but another report, the number of Islamist terrorists with potential for violence is listed as, I think, uh, what about 1,000. 900. So you know, it's roughly in the same the same figure. But unlike those jihadist groups, the Reichsbürger, what, you know, one thing that they all seem to do is hoard weapons. There's this clear trend that many of them are people with links to the German armed forces, and that they, they had just have uh, a tendency to collect and stash away uh, weapons. So they are potentially even more dangerous in that respect. We just may not have got to the point where we've seen what what they really want to do. Coming up, what a plot to return Germany to the 19th century tells us about the country in 2022. Philip, you talked about the way that the media was briefed and they were positioned so that they could report on these raids in as much detail as possible. And that says to me that as well as disrupting this plot, the point of these raids was to send a message. I guess I'm wondering, what was that message and who were they aiming to send it to? I mentioned previously that uh, in 2016, the Reichsberger movement first came to the public's attention in Germany because a policeman got shot by a member of, the, of that scene. Um, but even then, the domestic intelligence agency didn't really take them very seriously. They basically declined to take step towards systematic uh, surveillance of the Reichsberger scene. So I think for a long time there was, this, you know, it wasn't just people who were laughing, and it was also the authorities who just didn't take these people very seriously. And so we've had a new government in Germany that came in uh, last autumn, and I think the you know the interior minister of that government has sort of from the beginning made very clear that um, she considers um, the far right a serious threat. Germany's interior minister, Nancy Faeser, said the investigations provided a glimpse into the, quote, abyss of a terrorist threat from the Reichsburger milieu. Who wouldn't agree on a day like today where there's one of the biggest raids against far-right's efforts aimed at attacking our state, that polarization is on the rise and we have to defend our democracy every single day. So I think there was probably a little bit of a political message in these arrests as well, which is to say, we consider what is going on on the far right spectrum. We're going to take this seriously. Hmm. And alongside Prince Heinrich XIII, one of the arrested plotters you said was a former member of parliament in the far right AFD party. Might 
this Reichsburger movement be more embedded in German politics than we think? Um, I think that needs to be probably investigated in the coming weeks. From what we know, this um, MP, I mean, she was on the, the sort of far right wing of a party that went from anti-euro to anti-immigration. It struggled a bit during the pandemic to find its message, but it's opened itself up to conspiracy theories. Germany's main opposition party, known by its initials, AFD, has been placed under surveillance by the domestic intelligence agency because of suspected links to extremists. For the first time in post-war Germany, members of a political party... So from what we know about the MP, she wasn't perhaps a very influential figure. You know, the, the AFD is clearly the party on the German party political spectrum that the members of this group felt most affinity with. But we probably can't say yet that this is a sort of movement that was born from within that party. You know, normally when we're talking about the far right in Germany, we're talking about neo-Nazis. And are there any links between this failed coup by Reichsburger followers and neo-Nazi organisations? I mean, what do we mean by neo-Nazis? We mean by people who still essentially fetishise the, the symbols of the, the Nazi era. I mean, that's something that also makes it, I guess, easier for intelligence agencies and so on, or police to, to crack down on them. A lot of those symbols are banned in Germany. So really, I think, you know, I mean, while those neo-Nazi scenes still exist, you know, we're, we're seeing sort of new forms of uh, far-right movement that address themselves in, in very different ways and, in a way, deliberately try to look different. I think there's something, uh, you know, there are many other scenes on that end of the spectrum that deserve closer attention. Hmm. And what do you think this story of a group that believes modern Germany is basically a sham and that it should return to the era of kings and empires and the fact that they were able to gather enough followers to allegedly plot a violent overthrow of the government? What do you think all of that tells us about Germany at the end of 2022? I think uh, this plot does sort of feel very emblematic of a point in German history where that feels a little bit febrile. It feels like something's, there's, a, there's an uncertainty at the moment that, you know, when I interview people outside my bubble here in Berlin, you know, I'm sometimes a bit worried about how worried they are or how certain some of them are that everything will break down. Um, I mean, it's, you know, you just have to go to, to East Germany and, uh, you very quickly find people who are convinced that, you know, really we will see we'll see riots on the streets th uh, this winter as there'll be energy shortages, there'll be some sort of social breakdown, and that what's about to happen is just a repeat of what they saw happening in with the fall of the wall in 1989. There's a nervousness in the air at the moment, and while this group couldn't have exploited that. You know, they couldn't have used that nerve to convert that nervousness into actually turning the social order upside down. I think just the very fact that it's sort of being played out in public, that the possibility of that is, uh, of this plot that is in our heads now, it feels, it feels very symptomatic of, of, of this particular point in, in German history. And finally, Philip, so much of the focus on this group has been 
because of the scale of the raids against them and the fact that they were made up of these bizarre characters making strange decisions, including appearing to flag to the world that they were planning a secret coup in a video posted online. But in looking at the story this way, in making fun of it, is there a risk that we and others aren't taking the risk of far-right violence in Germany seriously enough? I think the scene that this group came from, I think, needs to be taken a lot more seriously in the future. I mean, these individuals may have been comical, but some of the plans they had hatched were certainly not. And I think, you know, they're not an entirely isolated case either. I mean, this particular group has got a lot of attention because we very quickly learnt a lot about its main actors and their colourful past or colourful appearance. But there's been a, you know, there's been a steady stream of stories of members of the Special Forces Command being found to have stashed weapons and thus bring about some sort of day X scenario of social breakdown or rioting, civil war, etc. And there's been a steady stream of, of stories like this. So I, this is not something that's just come completely out of the blue. Perhaps, you know, for people who are looking at Germany from the outside, this may have come out of nowhere. But, you know, this is a this is a brewing scene that seems to be, it feels like it's getting ever closer to something that actually could cost human lives. And so far, they've, these, these attempts or these, these plots have been, have been foiled. But at the moment, it feels like it's almost, you know, just a matter of time until they may succeed with, with an attack. Philip, thank you so much. Thanks. That was Philip Altman, The Guardian's Berlin bureau chief, whose coverage of this alleged coup you can follow at theguardian.com. And before we go, The Guardian and Observer's 2022 charity appeal has begun, as the cost of living crisis pushes 14.5 million people in the UK below the poverty line. More families than ever are facing a bleak Christmas. If you had to pick between heating and eating, which would you choose? So people don't have to make that choice. We're raising funds for charities working on the front lines. All donations will go to Citizens Advice and Locality to help local grassroots projects which support those who have been hit the hardest. Go to theguardian.com forward slash charity appeal 2022. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back Monday. This is The Guardian.